Jesus said to them, whoever becomes humble like this child will be greatest in the kingdom of God. I took my bicycle out for a ride early this morning. And as I swung south onto Riverside Drive, I noticed that I had joined a kind of strung-out group of other riders, more riders than is usual in my experience for 7 a.m. on a lazy Sunday morning. I didn't think much about it until there on the side of the road appeared a photographer with a nice long lens taking my picture. (laughs) A block later, there was another photographer also taking my picture. Evidently, I had joined the lead group of some bicycle race. And a block later, when I turned right to go into the park, a third photographer lowered her camera, looking vaguely disappointed that she had wasted some megapixels on me already. But for that one moment, I was out in front. I was in the lead pack of something and receiving some undeserved but delightful recognition for it. Who is greater? Who is greater in the kingdom of heaven? Who's first? Who's out in front in the kingdom of heaven? It seems funny to me that the disciples of Jesus are worrying about that, as we saw in today's scripture, are disturbed about that, debating about that, wondering about that. Who's greatest, they asked Jesus. It is such a bad question. It's one of those times when the question tells you more than any answer might. Really, disciples? Really, you followers of the lowly Jesus, who tells you he's among you as one who serves, who tells you he is gentle and humble of heart. You want to be first? You want to be first seed in the, in the disciple rankings? And you admit that you want to? Mm, How embarrassing. Two things happened this week which reminded me once again of this scripture. At the Hillary Clinton program on Thursday night, we got there to Riverside Church not as early as we had planned. We saw that that huge place, that huge space was already filled up. At one point, I scouted ahead to see if I could find a spot where my son Harry and I could squeeze into. And there were a bunch of seats up front. Now, from my experience at St. Paul and St. Andrew, I know that the seats up front are usually the the last to go. (laughs) But these were marked VIPs. Now, I wasn't really doing anything, and I wasn't getting closer to those VIP seats, but an usher came by and asked me, are you somebody? (laughs) And I said, no. (laughs) But it made me curious about who these very important people were going to be. I didn't recognize any of them when they finally got there. Aren't we all very important, though? Aren't we all very important people? Second thing, I was down at City Hall the other day for a news conference with the mayor and the cardinal. 
and 200 other clergy. <laughs> Only the cardinal and the Reverend Sharpton were supposed to speak. The rest of us were there as buy candy, I think. But it was funny. We were gathering there on the spiral staircase before the news conference for the photo ops, and I watched as my fellow clergy and I <laughs> jockeyed for a decent camera position, as though anybody was really going to care. <laughs> the news conference was in response to the repeal of DACA that had happened just that day, a repeal which leaves 800,000 young people, as you know, 800,000 young people who were brought to this country as children vulnerable and leaves them scared and unsure what the future is going to be for them. And so, of course, the real stars of that press conference were, was not the mayor, was, were not the clergy, nor the politicians, nor the labor leaders, or cops, or educators, or assorted other people who had gathered there on the stairway but rather a couple of DACA recipients who were willing to tell their stories, put a human face on the situation. Although I have to believe that doing so might have been placing them at greater risk of being deported. It's sad to me, though, it's sad to me as I think about the situation that we would be targeting children and young people in this continuing debate over who can stay and who must go. Now I know that a country needs borders, and I know that a country needs laws. I know that as a citizen, but not as a Christian. Not as a follower of that boundary-busting, law-ignoring guy from Galilee. Not as a Christian. I don't know it as a Christian. I don't know it as a follower of the one who himself had to flee before the age of two, his country fleeing to a foreign country ahead of some murdering soldiers who had to take refuge in the land of Egypt. And I don't know it as a follower of the one who tells those full of themselves disciples that day, whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. Not the one who tells them Somebody who puts a stumbling block in front of them would be better off to tie a 200-pound millstone around your neck and take a deep dive. Not that one. Not that one. Not a, as a follower of, of that one. And not as a follower of the one who says to those disciples who are so eager to protect him from those border-crossing babies and those claimant and clamorous kids, let the children come to me. For such as these belong the kingdom. We know that children are always the most vulnerable. Often the first casualties of war, as Frances Helen has reminded us, she well knows from being caught as a child in the middle of war. But that situation continues. In this country, We've determined that young people are old enough to kill and die in war three years before they're able to legally order a beer. I think about that sometimes, and I ponder it and scratch my head, but that's for another sermon. As you know, 
Children disproportionately suffer the effects of poverty. They disproportionately suffer the effects of homelessness and hunger. For years, we in this community of faith have worked with our food pantry to push for universal free lunch in our schools, to try to remove the stigma that was sometimes keeping kids from getting the food, the nutrition that they desperately needed. And finally, on Thursday, that dream came true. Thank you, God. Exactly. But how many countless children are abused and mistreated, overlooked and underappreciated, taught to overlook and underappreciate themselves, truth be told. And so God have mercy on us all for that. So maybe, maybe, it should not shock me to see the children who were brought here before they knew where here was, who left their home country before it was ever home, have now lost what little protection DACA offered them. It shouldn't shock me, but it does. It shocks me as a parent. It disturbs me as a friend of some young DACA recipients. And it disturbs me as a Christian. It deeply disturbs me as a follower of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we're taught and called to stick up for the last, the lost, the least, the vulnerable, the easily victimized. That's what we're taught. That's what we're called. We say that. We say that a lot. And it's easy to say, but what does it mean? And how do we do it? I'll tell you. I think, as I'm thinking about it this morning, I think it involves three things. First, to recognize our own vulnerability. Second, to understand our own power in the middle of that vulnerability. And third, to find our voices and use them. I'm going to explain each of these very briefly, and then I'll sit down. First, we're all vulnerable. We're all vulnerable, each of us, some more than others, each in a different way. But we're exposed to dangers and doubts, put-downs and come-downs, disrespect, disregard, And recognizing that, I think, helps me to understand the vulnerability of those who are more vulnerable than I. To understand the situation of those more easily victimized than I. I think Jesus had that in mind when he said, be humble like a child. Not to put on some false humility, which is just another way to puff yourself up, but to understand that In the pecking order, nobody really wins, right? Everybody gets pecked. (laughs) And to empathize with the more easily victimized is part of what it means to be human. So recognize your own vulnerability to start with. And second, understand your power. Claim your power. Know your power. We all have power. Don't be embarrassed about your power. We follow a guy who left his followers with these words. Remember, greater things than these will you do, not on your own, but because I yearn to connect you with the source of the power of life, the power of love, the divine power, the power of God. That's my mission. That's why I'm going. That's why I'm returning to God to connect you to that power. And you have that power. That's your power. So claim that power. And use that power for what Jesus used his power for. 
to comfort the afflicted, to afflict the comfortable, to speak up for those who need help finding their own voice. You are strong. You are strong, as the song goes. Jesus would sing that song, You are strong because God is strong. And third, find that voice and use that voice. There's always a moment when each of us is called to say something, to challenge something, to call somebody on something, to intervene in an appropriate manner on behalf of somebody, a kid getting picked on by other kids, a woman in a hijab, a politician who is seeking to stand up for marginalized and victimized people, to speak up and challenge another politician who is trying to marginalize and victimize and and belittle a whole group of people. For me, that moment, that moment to speak out usually happens about a minute before I'm ready to say anything. About a minute before I think of, oh, that was the right thing to say in that situation. I'm like, I should have said something. I should have done something. I, I shouldn't have laughed at that comment that was really putting somebody else down. I should have done something. So from now on, I'm resolved to try to be more proactive about that, to anticipate those situations, those moments, to anticipate a time when my voice might make some sort of a difference to somebody, and my voice might be called on, and my voice might be needed to stick up for a fellow powerful and vulnerable child of God. Now, among the many signs that appeared on the corner of our building over the last two weeks was one that read something like this. This is a place for all God's children. And that means everybody. That means everybody. Everybody. Because no matter what your age or your your gender or your creed or your race or your papers or lack of papers, your status or your lack of status, you are a child of God. I am a child of God. We are all children of God, every person on our planet. Let's remember that. You are indeed a very important person 